0: Welcome to the Happy at Work podcast. We're so excited to have with us today, Elaine Lynn Herring. Welcome, Elaine. Thanks for having me. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for joining us. So we just want to start out learning a little bit more about you. So tell us about your career journey, um, a little bit about your background um, and what you do now.
3: Yeah, I am the youngest daughter of a family that immigrated to the States from Taiwan and so as part of being the youngest daughter i am supposed to respect the people around me i am supposed to defer i am not supposed to rock the boat because that is how i show up in the world as a good person and as the good asian daughter i went to harvard law school intending to be a litigator. Ended up coming across getting to yes, difficult conversations, negotiation theory, and pedagogy, and had a very expensive light bulb moment of, wait, we can actually talk about things? No. Wait, emotions are useful and can be data? No. So I threw myself in to that personal journey and ended up uh, getting off the lawyer conveyor belt and have spent more than a decade in leadership development, helping people figure out how to communicate with each other. So I am very much on this journey of what is interesting, what is worthwhile work, and if the question is other than sue each other and blow each other up, what can we do? It seems like there's a whole lot of good work to be done.
1: Elaine, I can already tell I'm that this conversation is going to be so wonderful because Mm -hmm. there's so much about what you just said in, in, uh, in your bio that I think will resonate with so many of our listeners, but I want to dive right into the fact that you wrote a book that's about to come out called unlearning silence. Can you talk about what unlearning silence means? What do you mean by this concept and tell us a little bit about your upcoming book?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Unlearning silence. I think the final subtitle is How to Speak Your Mind, Unleash Talent, and Live More Fully. And in the UK, it's going to be Lead with Courage because live more fully is too nebulous and squishy. And there's a lesson to be teased out in there. But it really is about what are the ways that we silence ourselves, deny our own needs, suppress our own thoughts, censor ourselves. That gets in the way of self-advocacy and happiness at work, I would argue, and in life. What are the ways that we silence the people around us by the ways that we show up, by the ways that we lead often and usually unintended? And what can we all do about it? So that if we care about happiness at work, if we care about belonging and dignity and justice in the world, how do we make that reality? Not just for a privileged few, but for each and every human being.
2: And I'm curious, how do you think that unlearning silence can positively impact workplace happiness and well-being?
3: I feel like that's a rhetorical question, but let me parse this out. <laughs> so, and maybe because I, I come from a lawyer background, we should define our terms because there's a lot that is positive about silence, right? You can't be mindful if you don't have silence. There are some people in our lives that we wish would embrace silence more, The silence I'm talking about is the silence when your thoughts aren't welcome, when you feel like you have to edit out yourself, when you weren't invited to the meeting and you didn't think you could ask, when everyone else's priorities and preferences suck up all the energy in the room. And essentially at work, you are tiptoeing around as a shell of the person you could be because you're trying to conform of the way things are done here. And maybe that definition of silence itself answers the question of how it can positively impact the workplace. If we have to go into work and do all these workarounds, which unfortunately it seems like everybody's doing right, let's not actually have the conversation with Michael about how he's not leading well and what impact he's having. We're not going to give him that feedback. Let's just work around him. Mm. And it is this complex web of things that aren't optimized, that are frustrating for most people, what we're not actually having the conversations. So unlearning silence is looking at the ways we might be holding back, the ways we might be avoiding difficult conversations and conflict. And what can I do about that? What can I do about that for the people on my team to create a culture of voice where it is normal and welcome and rewarded for us to actually share what we think, to discuss things in a constructive way, and to spend our energy doing good work instead of having to work around?
2: Could I ask a specific question on a real-time situation and just see what your thoughts are?
3: Yes, I love a good life case study. Is this an interpersonal <laughs> conflict between you or Tessa? You and Tessa? Just
2: don't no, know. no, no, no. no. Just, just... <laughs> I no have...
1: Actually, Michael and I never have any conflicts. We are the perfect co-working couple here. Uh, never, never a crossword.
2: Tessa and I are good, at, but this is about a friend, <laughs> a friend of mine. <laughs> so imagine it's an organization
3: about me, is my it? <laughs> Uh, at least we're not talking behind your back, Tessa. Or
2: it's true. So imagine that you work at an organization that says, hey, we want to have everyone's ideas, you know, please mm-hmm. share, please share. And the, the employees have, mm-hmm. but they find that it's kind of greenwashing. No one's ideas are ever actually taken. So the people who did have the psychological safety and, and felt fine about sharing ideas kind of became silent because they knew they weren't being heard. Yeah. And now it's pretty clear no good ideas are coming out. Any thoughts on how some of your work and research might give us some better ideas on how to get things better?
3: Yeah, I love it. Two, two thoughts come to mind, two tools, I'd argue. One is, let's be really honest about when we actually want people's opinions. Because there is such pressure these days in particular to be inclusive, or we need to consult. Reality is at work, you cannot run a business or an organization based on consensus. And if we start there, it makes sense that we wouldn't consult everybody and their mother about whatever topic it is. So the construct that I use most in coaching is a derivative of Racy, but I call it the three buckets in the book there are three categories of people, right? The decision makers, the people who are consulted, and the people who are informed. And a lot of the friction comes when we think that we need to consult everybody, which is just not realistic. And also when we're not clear who decides. So amongst the three of you, since we're talking about a friend of yours, not you. Yes. You know, who makes decisions on this podcast as to who gets to be a guest? Do all three of you have to agree? Are you all in that decide bucket? Or if Laura wants to invite me, does she have to consult you? Or do each of the three of you have the autonomy to just invite anyone and then inform the others? Oh, we could do some real problem solving here too, because part of this is what are our assumptions about who gets to speak up, who gets to decide, who we have to consult, and are we aligned in that? Because if we're not, actually the first conversation is let's negotiate which roles we are in. I don't know if Michael and Tessa, you want to weigh in here on this.
2: You know, what's interesting is that one of our first guests was the co-founder of Moderna, Bob Langer. And what I always remember about him is that he always hires for meaning and purpose, and that saves him so much trouble down the line. And I think Tessa and Laura and I coming together, we are aligned on meaning and purpose. We have really aligned values. So Mm -hmm. when it comes to a guest, we're polite to each other and say, hey, this is a person, what do you think? We kind of always agree. We've rarely had it. No, I really want this person. I'm like, no, 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 not at all. And I think it's because we quote unquote hired ourselves or aligned on meaning and purpose and similar values. But I'd love to hear what Laura and Tessa think.
1: No, I I mean, I in in this particular scenario, since we're really workshopping our, our dynamics here on the podcast, <laughs> um, I completely agree. I, I think it's, we have the same meaning purpose. We have the same intentions when we uh, about what we're doing here with this podcast, and so honestly, I can't remember a time that anyone made a suggestion that any of us thought, no, that we, you know, no, absolutely not. Um, but with that, with that being said, I, I think there's so much happening right now. You you hear, and it's making me think about this return to work and how we're hearing. You know, I think there's a couple. I don't. <laughs> I don't want to state companies just because I have a day job, but there are a couple of well-known... And you'd like to keep the day job? Yes, I'd like to keep that day job. But there are some really well-known CEOs who have made some pretty you know, harsh statements about what he thinks about people who work from home and the lack of creativity or passion that they might have about their jobs. And so it also is like, yes, you can have people who are deciding things like you know it's time to return to the office 5 days a week but and certainly it's, it doesn't make sense if you have a 10,000 person organization to get consensus from from the masses but it's you know it's just interesting to hear that for those who felt silenced through probably that process of okay. negotiating whether or not we go back to the office that the the my guess is the outcome will be they'll leave the company right and you'll lose that talent. So, where's that middle ground right for that CEO to have done the due diligence to at least get some of the voices heard so that that decision or even just that very um, clumsy statement was you know wouldn't have been made perhaps.
3: And that gets to what are the stakes, and this is Hirschman's work in the 1970s around exit voice or loyalty, right? If you use your voice and it doesn't seem like it's heard, then your choices are either to shut up and stay loyal, and then you get groupthink and you get echo chambers, or you leave. So, Tess, I love that you parse that out there because that is what the the outcomes feel like, Um The other, Michael, to go back to your original question is if we're clear on what roles we're in, then the negotiation is, well, do I agree that that's where I should sit? And am I willing to still negotiate? If you've informed me that that's the decision, is this the final decision and what culture am I creating? So going back to hiring for purpose and meaning, what culture am I wanting to create? Am I trying to create a culture of voice or am I trying to create a culture of silence and compliance? And how do we balance those aspects? If we're going back very to the tactical piece of people feel like they've shared their thoughts, but nothing happens, there's a, am I closing the loop as to why we're not acting on your input right now? Controlling the narrative and filling in that intentions vacuum that can leave people telling whatever story they want. The second is how we build in standard questions to solicit an illicit perspective. So instead of asking, what do you think? Which can feel like such a trap, particularly if there's low trust, right? Laura, how honest do you want me to be? Do you really want to know? I don't know. Last time Michael was pretty candid and he's not here anymore. And we all know <laughs> that he's still here. So it's okay. I'm not kicking off the island. So instead of asking what do you think, asking, what about this proposal works? What about this doesn't work? What are the pros? What are the cons? So you are actually inviting in that dissent by the questions that you've baked into the process and it also trains your team to expect it right part of the the barrier to using your voice can be do they really want to know is it okay to dissent am i going to be perceived as disagreeable am i going to be kicked off the island versus no we're just answering the standard questions that we always ask
0: and then you get the data right so you know I want to dig into the culture part that you just brought up. So so but before we do that, I wanted to get your take on something. I've always reacted to the definition of psychological safety. I've always been like kind of hesitant about it because mm-hmm. the idea that it's only about um not being afraid to speak up or that there aren't any negative consequences. It feels like such a low bar. Like, mm-hmm. oh, you're not going to get in big big trouble for speaking up, but what about what you were saying before, of like encouraging people, rewarding people, like going further with it, where it becomes like, I I expect people and I need people and I want people to talk, not just I'm not going to get in trouble if I do. Right. I was curious about like your thoughts on that.
3: Yeah. And I I would agree with you that the overarching, just to level set, overarching definition of uh, psychological safety that I've seen is lack of interpersonal fear. Yeah. And if you're doing something that is new or different and is inherently costly because voice is a status claiming activity fear to me is normal. Right. Um this is also why when people say just speak up the advice often seems like it boils down to just be more courageous, have more yeah. confidence, like get over your fears. And it's not to say that we as managers and leaders shouldn't try to reduce the real and perceived costs and fears, um, but to acknowledge that doing something that is different, whether that is using your voice or trying to create space for voice, there's going to be fear and trepidation because most of us are, are worried and fearful of uncertainty.
0: Right.
3: The antidote to me for that is experimentation. What can we try? What can we try, not because we're going to change it forever or be locked into a certain outcome, but if we are not satisfied with how things are working right now, what might we try for a confined period of time? Because most of us can do something for a couple of days or three weeks. And the question is, what might we learn from a different way of doing things? What might I learn from asking standard questions? What might I learn from... Um, appreciating thoughts that come through slack as much as I do thoughts that are real time in a meeting. And if we like it, we keep it. If we don't like it, we can always go back. Yeah. But if we're unsatisfied with what we were doing before, why not try something?
0: Yeah, I love that. And it feels it feels so much easier to do experiment, to like try things, experiment, even when you position it that way. It's like, oh, this is just a first draft. This is just like putting things out there, right? And it just feels so much easier. The bar just doesn't, it just doesn't feel so like, so impossible. And I love that you called it out of let's, let's actually name and be transparent
3: that we are experimenting. So when Tessa's like, what's that weird thing? What was that? You're like, that was the experiment. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) What what do you think? Let's get some data going.
0: Right. Okay. Not not a fan. Cool. (laughs) Let's try something else. And what did we like about it? Right. And maybe what didn't we? But yeah, I love that. Let's let's talk about culture a little bit, though, because um, I know that there's a part of the way you kind of think about silence that's related to culture. So I'd love to hear your perspective on how is culture related to the idea of of unlearning silence?
3: Yeah. So when I think about unlearning silence, there are three big levers we're trying to pull. Um, One lever is the ways that I silence myself, so how I might be self-censoring or making myself small, withholding, right? And silence is inherently an absence. So my leader, my manager may not know that I'm holding back because they never knew what was there in the first place. So it is on me to examine what I might want to share, how I'm perceiving the risks and the fears and the rewards. The second is the impact leaders have. Um, in what we're doing, meaning, do leaders have the ability to listen across difference? If Tess smiles during the presentation, do I somehow diminish what she's saying because women are dancing in this likability competency thing? Um, and then the third lever is culture, which Laura is a far greater expert at than I am, so I love that you have in-house expertise. But culture being the norms that we co-create silence breeds silence. The less we see people using their voices, speaking up, pushing back to the CEO, the less anyone does it. And that employee silence and organizational silence of, I guess we don't talk about things here, calcifies. Now the converse is true, which is voice inspires or encourages voice, which really is a challenge to each of us to say, If voice is not just the words that we say in a meeting, but how we move through the world, how do we want to show up? And how are we using our voices today? I got a message this morning on LinkedIn from someone who I don't actually know who they are. Uh, They've apparently been following me for months, not in a stalker big brother way, but in a really kind way of the, you know, Elaine, I'm so glad you are focusing on on helping leaders support people rather than silence people. Um, It's super useful, you know, looking forward to your book. And what struck me about that was them using their voice to offer feedback to me is actually this cycle that then keeps me going. And I know that we all have instances of that in our lives. So voice doesn't have to be, you know, on the streets protesting or going, giving direct feedback to the CEO voices. How do I want to build the world around me, particularly at work? And that knowing that you using your voice actually inspires more voice, which builds that culture and changes the norms.
1: So, Elaine, everything you're saying, I'm just like, yes, yes, yes mm-hmm. to everything you're saying. And what it's making me think about, um, if I can just take a like a, a minute to talk about this research that we we recently, the at the institute where I work, our research team just completed a big piece around looking at perimenopause and menopause in the workplace mm-hmm. and how it impacts women. And what's so fascinating about bringing this research into the market is, first of all, the many people who are like, oh, I've never said the word menopause at work. Is this an issue? And a lot of it has been the 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 silence that women have had about how this has been impacting them forever. <laughs> because if you were born with a uterus, you're going to go through it. And it might have happened to you earlier or later in life. But what's so interesting is in our data, what we actually saw was that one in four women, disproportionately senior executive women who had options financially, um, 13% of them left the workplace in the last year due to menopause and 12% are considering leaving within the next year due to menopause. However, the vast majority don't, said they didn't tell their companies. And so they're silencing themselves about how this issue is impacting them. And it's, of course, because this is not a topic. We talk about reproductive health at work, but this is not a topic that people have been talking about. And so I guess very selfishly, I know we're coming towards the end of our time, but I just would love to get your take on on an issue like that like i feel like women racial and ethnic minorities a lot of people um with different intersectionality of of diversity um have these different things that really impact them at work but it's it's letting someone know and it's being able to speak up it's it's being able to build that awareness do you have any sort of thoughts or or tips you would give to to folks who who have a particular issue that they need to talk about at work because it does impact their ability to do the job.
3: Totally, I'm so glad that you raised that issue because it's one of many, right? Any where we end up suffering in silence, we end up silencing ourselves or perpetuating the silence of women in the workplace or fill in subordinate identity because it's taboo, because it hasn't been done. Isn't what hasn't been done the core of innovation? So I would ask each of us in what ways might we be silencing ourselves, editing out the parts of us, the things we're carrying. And what who could you ask around you to support you? Right. How can you, like Avengers Assembling, bring together a team where it's not just you speaking up, but it is also a calculated risk in sharing with someone, knowing they are pretty likely to hear you. And part of them hearing you is you also being clear about the ask. Are you asking for them to listen? Are you asking for them to problem solve? Are you asking them to share with other people? Are you asking them to escalate? Or are you just asking for them to be a sounding board? Being clear on what is going to support you while interrogating how might I be silencing myself? Um, I'll leave the so a teaser here of this is what I call double pain in the book of we may not be able to solve the original pain of dealing with menopause and everything that comes with it um, or whatever other issue you might be dealing with. But we can solve the double pain of having to suffer in silence about it. And we can do that by sharing of ourselves. We can also do that by receiving other people and signaling, we do talk about these things here and let's figure it out together rather than you having to carry it alone. And then we get into all of the loneliness isolation research that I'm sure you all have covered in a different episode.
1: (laughs) Wonderful. Thank you.
2: Elaine, this is great. And as, as we close out, I think as we mentioned before we went on the, the air earlier, we love to leave our audience members with you know, one goodie that they might be able to take away. So if someone's listening today and they're like, oh, I'd love to try this out, is there one thing you, you could leave our listeners with that they might want to give a try?
3: Yeah, I've been trying to leave breadcrumbs as we go. So this question that I just left Tessa with of in what ways might you be silencing yourself? But I will also say there's this micro moment of when you're deciding to speak or not speak. And particularly for those of us who are perfectionists, it's like, I don't feel like I can speak unless I get it out exactly the way that I would want, because they're gonna, I can anticipate all the rebuttals. And my favorite phrase around that, when you're asking for what do I just open my mouth and say or type is from where I sit. From where I sit, it seems like we should be able to talk about menopause. And you sit in a different place, literally, geographically, title-wise, life experience. But from where I sit means that my view is legitimate and limited. Your view is legitimate and limited. And we can piece it together rather than my having to have the definitive, omnipotent, all-knowing truth in whatever I actually say. So we're lowering the stakes for ourselves and for our listeners in naming, I'm just speaking from where I sit. Because at the end of the day, that actually is all
2: I can do. I love it. Elaine, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for coaching us. We weren't planning that, but (laughs) we love it. We love but
3: that. You all are still keeping the podcast together. Oh, <laughs> oh.
1: gosh, no. It, this was wonderful, Elaine, and I cannot wait to get your book. Do you, um, do you have a publish date?
3: Uh, March 19th in Excellent. the States, March 21st in the UK, available anywhere you buy your books.
1: Congratulations. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. Thank, Thank you me. so
0: much, Elaine.
2: We hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to hear future episodes, be sure to subscribe to the Happy at Work podcast and leave us a review with your thoughts.
1: Are you interested in speaking on a future episode or want to collaborate with us? Let us know. You can send us an email at admin at happyatworkpodcast.com.
0: And lastly, follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter for even more happiness. See you soon.